This morning's reading is from the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 8 to 37. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who comes often our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, My head, my head. His father told a servant, Carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my lord, she said. Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. 
lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Thank you, Pauline. What does it look like to have faith in the true and living God? Maybe you're a Christian and you're going through a baffling time and you're asking, is this a genuine experience of the true and living God? Or maybe you're not a Christian and you're asking, what would it be like to put your faith in the true and living God. Well, come back with me to 850 BC, to the Iron Age, to a small piece of land about the size of Wales, the land of Israel, and look at these real-life examples, this example, of an unnamed woman putting her faith in God. Four things to say discovering the true God, perplexed by the true God, determination to find the true God, and finally comforted by the true God. Firstly then, discovering the true God. What we've seen so far in two kings is that God's people are under judgment. The nation is divided into two into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And eventually, the northern kingdom will be overrun by the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom will be destroyed by the Babylonians. God's people are under judgment. This is the outworking of Deuteronomy 30, where God says that blessing will follow obedience, and cursing will follow disobedience. God's people are largely under his curse. But those who follow God's man, those who follow Elisha, 
move from the place of God's curse to the place of his blessing. And here in 2 Kings 4, we meet a family who are under the blessing of God. Here we meet a family who are discovering the true God. Verse 8, Elisha goes to Shunem, a town in Israel in the northern kingdom. And a well-to-do woman provides Elisha with hospitality. She and her husband don't just provide Elisha with the occasional meal. They provide him with a room on the roof, with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Elisha can stay there whenever he likes. One day, Elisha comes with his servant Gehazi, a sort of Jeeves figure. And Elisha says to the woman, through Gehazi, verse 13, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can we do for you? And she says, in effect, I have everything I need. But Gehazi points out, verse 14, she has no son, and her husband is old. In other words, if her husband dies first, as he probably will, she will have no one to look after her. So Elisha says to her, verse 16, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But sure enough, she becomes pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gives birth to a son, just as Elisha has told her. This woman was already a believer in God. She was already a supporter of Elisha. But she discovers God in a more powerful way. She discovers his love for her, his care for her, his compassion for her in her childlessness. And maybe there are some here today and you are discovering God. You're discovering his love for you, his compassion for you in your circumstances. This passage doesn't teach that all childless couples can have children if they believe hard enough. But it does teach that God is powerful and compassionate. And we will discover his power and compassion if we commit our lives to him. But secondly, we see these people perplexed by the true God. Almost no sooner does God bless this family than it seems he challenges their faith in the most painful way. Verse 18. The child grows somewhat, and one day he goes out to his father, who's reaping in the fields, 
Suddenly, the boy gets a terrible headache, verse 19. He said to his father, my head, my head. A servant carries the boy to his mother. The boy sits on her lap till noon. And then he dies. This is so typical of God. He blesses us. And then he perplexes us. He tests our faith. Why has this happened now? Lord, what are you doing? Ever ask questions like that? Ever been perplexed by God? This is a baffling test of faith. It's a bit like earlier on in this part of the Bible. God blesses Elijah, Elisha's predecessor. God blesses Elijah with a great victory, a victory of faith on Mount Carmel. God gives Elijah victory over the prophets of Baal. And then Elijah has a crisis of faith. It's a crisis of fear. He thinks he's the only one left who follows the true and living God, which wasn't the case. But Elijah suffers a crisis of faith and confidence in God straight after his victory on Mount Carmel. And for this family, after God has blessed them so much, he gives them the son They've always wanted. And then God takes him away. How very perplexing. And maybe today you're perplexed by God. Well, can I encourage us, preaching to myself as well as to everyone else, because thirdly, what we see here is determination to find the true God. The woman doesn't conclude that she should give up on God. The first thing she does with her dead son, verse 21, is that she lays him on Elisha's bed and shuts the door on him. She knows she has to get to Elisha She's determined to find the true God in this situation. Verse 22. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly and return. It's not even the normal time for visiting the prophet. Verse 23. Why go to him today? Her husband asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath, but that doesn't matter. The woman knows she's got to see God's prophet. She's got to go to God in her distress. She's determined to do this. Verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, 
Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. This is urgent and she is determined. So she sets out for Mount Carmel where she'll find Elisha. Elisha sees her in the distance and he says to Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. This wasn't actually true, but she doesn't want to get bogged down in discussion with Gehazi. She wants to see Elisha. She wants to speak with the man of God. Verse 27. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi tries to push her away. But Elisha, the man of God, says, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. That's interesting. Even though Elisha is a prophet and God uses him to perform miracles, he doesn't automatically know mysteries. He has to try to find things out in the usual way most of the time. We shouldn't be super spiritual. Normally, God deals with his people in normal ways. Normally. Elisha finds out things by talking to the person concerned. God doesn't just supernaturally put facts in his head. Well, the woman speaks to Elisha, verse 28. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. The woman is determined to find God in her situation. But she's completely honest with Elisha. Why has this happened to me? Is what she's saying in effect. I didn't ask you for a son. I didn't ask you for a son. But now I've got one. I'm devastated that he's died. Maybe you need to be completely honest with God. The book of Psalms gives us permission to be honest with God. Many of them are brutally honest. For example, Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. 
but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Honesty coupled with faith. That's the mark of a good prayer life. The Shunammite woman is determined to find God in her situation. And in Elisha, God answers her. Because fourthly, she is comforted by the true God. Verse 29. Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi rushes on ahead. He lays the staff on the boy's face. But there's no sound or response. So Gehazi goes back to Elisha. The boy has not awakened. So Elisha doesn't just perform miracles at will. He's dependent on God, as we all are. The staff idea didn't work. So what will work? How will God bring comfort in this situation, verse 32? When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. So I say again, Elisha is completely dependent on God. He has no power. He cannot raise the dead. But God can. Elisha does the wisest thing. He prays. And this is what we must do. When God is perplexing us, when we're seeking his comfort, we should pray. Even if we pray a prayer like Psalm 13, and we cry out to God, How long, O Lord? What's going on? Why is this happening? What are you doing, Lord? Especially if we can move from questioning God to expressing faith in God. God does bring astonishing comfort in this situation, verse 34. Elisha got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. The word for stretched out 
is only used in one other place in the Bible. And that's where Elijah stretches out to pray. So this stretching out on the boy is a kind of enactment of prayer. It's an expression of faith on the part of Elisha. It's an expression of prayer. Verse 35, Elisha walks about a bit and then got onto the bed and stretched out on him once more. This time, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And so, the boy is restored to his mother. What a comfort she receives when she seeks the true and living God. So we've seen today discovering the true God, perplexed by the true God, determination to find the true God, and then this woman being comforted by the true God. The elephant in the room is that when our loved ones die, you can't send for the pastor and expect him to stretch out on the deceased and bring them back to life again. We all experience bereavement sooner or later. As the late queen put it, grief is the price we pay for love. And in all honesty, God is not going to raise our loved ones from the dead. The comfort God offers is the comfort of the gospel. The comfort of the gospel is that God loves us. God loves us so much that he gives Jesus to be born as one of us, to live a human life, to experience bereavement, to experience all our sorrows, but never to sin. So that Jesus can say, I've been there. I've suffered just like you. I understand. I understand what you're going through. But the great hope of the gospel is that Jesus did not stay dead on that first Easter morning. And he offers to each one of us the hope of eternal life. Jesus' death on the cross paid for all our sin. Jesus took the punishment. Jesus took an experience of hell. Jesus took the wrath of God for our sin so that we might escape hell and go to heaven. And so the great comfort of the Bible is that because Jesus has dealt with our sin, we can be forgiven.
put right with God. Know God as our Father and know that we're going to heaven when we die. So although bereavement is painful, there is hope. We will be united with all our loved ones if they are in Christ, if we belong to Christ. This is wonderful comfort. The boy in the story was raised back to life, only to die again at some point, presumably many years later. But for those of us who are Christians, we can be confident that we will be with God, with one another, for all eternity in the new creation, never to die again. And we will enjoy Christ here on earth we will suffer we will get sick ourselves we will face a range of anxieties we will be bereaved we will die but there is the hope of heaven and through all that we suffer God is teaching us. God is teaching us to trust him. God is teaching us his faithfulness. There are people in this room whose children have died. And they've gone on following Christ. They've kept trusting Christ. They're still here. The Welsh football team has made it to the World Cup finals for the first time in 64 years. And their song is called Amma Ohid, which means still here. The song says, despite everything we've gone through, we're still here. And there are Christians in this room who are still here. Despite everything they've gone through, they're still trusting, still following Christ, proving the faithfulness of God. They are an example and an inspiration to us. Have you discovered this faithful God? Have you discovered the comfort of knowing him? Perhaps you're going through a time of great perplexity. Maybe you are asking, how long, O Lord, why, Lord? Why me? Why now? God wants you to be honest with him. And God wants us all to discover the comfort 
of the gospel, the forgiveness of our sins, the restoration of our relationship with God, the hope of heaven. Have you had this experience? Well, come to Christ today. Come to him for the first time. Discover his power and his compassion and his comfort. Come to him. Come to him for the second time, for the third time, for the tenth time, for the hundredth time. Keep coming to Christ. He is a wonderful Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come to you when we are perplexed, when we're wondering what on earth you're doing, when we're wondering why bad things have happened to us. Thank you for the comfort and the compassion you have for us. Help us, Lord, to keep coming to you to keep coming to Christ. Help us to discover your love for us. Help us to keep trusting you, keep following you, keep serving you, and to keep loving you. Lord, we need your help in this. But we thank you for your power and your compassion. In Jesus' name. Amen.